So, um, as Dawn said, today is the uh, last Sunday of Advent. So we're concluding our Advent series on the different watchwords that we've been looking at. And today's word is prepare. And I don't know about you, but Advent's gone pretty quickly for me. Um, And as we come to look at the word prepare, I'm not really sure I'm ready. Um, Because to be prepared is to have things or, or oneself in the proper condition. It is to be ready in all, all sense of the word to be ready. It's being in that proper condition, in the right state, in the right state of mind, in the right state of body. And so the question that I want to ask right now is, What are we getting ready for? What are we trying to prepare for? When I was a kid, I was told any question in church, the answer is always Jesus. And so the answer to that question is also Jesus. We are preparing for Jesus' second coming, for his return to earth. And remember that as disciples, we are called to live in this state all the time. We're We're in a state of advent Every day of the year. So when we get to the season of Advent, it's a reminder of how we should be living, not just a call to live in this way in the build-up to Christmas. So what comes to mind when you think about preparing for Jesus' return? To try and attack that, today. I want to look at different areas, different, different things that we can do to put ourselves in the right position, to, to bring ourselves into better preparing. And the first of those is that we need to live in the light of Jesus' first coming in order to prepare ourselves for his second coming. Uh, Jesus, um, he told his followers, if you want to Flip around with your Bible with me again today. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16 is our first uh, section. And, And Jesus says to his followers, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under a bushel basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. A simple but very challenging question in this is, are you sharing the light which you've received? Do you tell other people about Jesus? Do you feel equipped to tell other people about Jesus? And if the answer to either of those questions is no, then we need to sit and have a conversation. If the answer is, I'm not doing it, then let's find out why. And if it's because you don't feel equipped, then I'm failing. The leaders of St. John are failing because the church's responsibility is to equip others so that all may share in Jesus. All may share and tell others about Jesus. See, living in the light of Jesus' first coming, 
is to follow in his great commandment and his great commission. So developing relationship with him, furthering relationship with him, uh, deepening relationship with him. It's all vitally important as it helps us to have a better understanding so we can better share and introduce him to others. Okay, He is the light that guides us. And he is the light we want other people to see and other people to share and to taste. Jesus has made you who you are, okay? And some of you are introverts and some of you are extroverts. And some of you sit on that scale somewhere. Maybe you're an extreme on one end or you're balancing away in the middle somewhere. Myself, I'm an extroverted introvert. I don't know if you've ever heard someone call themselves, kind of mix the two together. But if I don't have time by myself to recharge, I'm pretty useless. Okay, you can ask my wife just how useless, uh, and she'll tell you. Uh, (laughs) Sunday afternoons, I'm almost worthless to her uh, because of the energy and the outpouring of the extrovert that I'm not having to be. But I've learned and I've trained myself to be able to be in a room of people, to to give to the calling that God has given me. Um, But if I don't get that time to myself, then I can't can't do what God's asked me to do. And he knows that, so he helps to try and provide that time. But, you know, I'm not always great, and sometimes I ignore and carry on doing, and then I end up collapsing, which isn't good rest. That's unhealthy for us. Um, But that's a different sermon altogether. Um, It's necessary for us to be able to do what we're called to do, to know how he's made us so that we can respond to that. But we can't fall into the lies of the world in that being an introvert means I can't talk to people or I can't go and meet people. Because to be introverted is to need to be by oneself to recharge. Being extroverted means I need other people to help me recharge. And I've heard extroverts use the excuse of, I can't pray in silence by myself because I need people. And that's as foolish a statement as, I can't tell anyone about Jesus because I'm an introvert. Right? It's not about the introvert, extrovert, I can't. It's how do I charge myself so that I can do the things that God is calling me to. Um, because that's how we share the light. And no matter how introverted one thinks they are, God's still calling you to share the light that he's put in you. Um, And you've got to figure out how you're being called to do that. So Jesus' words that we just looked at in Matthew 5, they say, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel. Okay, Jesus has lit the light inside of you, and he doesn't want it to hide away. The lamp is to provide light for all that is around it, and you carry that light. Don't hide it away. Because that's contrary to what Jesus calls you to. That's contrary to what it is to walk in the light of his first coming. And if we look at the great commandment, And then we look at also the Great Commission. And the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 16 through 20, 
what's that tell us? Well, it tells us that Jesus is there and he's saying to his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that comes back to that commandment. Everything that Jesus commands, as disciples, we're to know so that we can share with those that don't know. And that's part of the disciple-making process. Because if we don't know Jesus, how can we share him? If we don't know his commands, how can we tell other people how we're to live our lives? And if we can't do these things, then we're not equipped to make disciples. So if you don't feel you can do it, again, we need to have that conversation so that you feel equipped to be able to do it. Because you not feeling that you can is a failure on the church's part in not equipping you well enough to be able to. Because remember, the mark of a mature disciple is what? It is that they make disciples. You can't be a disciple, not a mature disciple, if you're not making disciples. It doesn't work. Because the idea of Jesus saying, go make disciples. If you know what I know, what I've taught you, take it and give it to others. Sitting on faith, like, like it's something that's personal, is, personal faith to me is an oxymoron. Yeah? Because there's no such thing as personal faith. Faith is for sharing. And if you're not sharing faith, well, I'd question whether or not there's a faith in the first place. Because a faith not shared is not a faith. We're called to live in the light that we've received. And part of that is to shine. Secondly, in preparing ourselves for Jesus' second coming, we are to live in hope. And Paul, when he's writing to Titus, um, in chapter 2, verses 11 uh, through 14, he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all, training us to renounce impiety and worldly passions, and in the present age to live lives that are self-controlled, upright, and godly, while we wait for the blessed hope and the manifestation of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He, it is, who gave himself for us that we might redeem, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify for himself a people of his own who are zealous for good deeds. Okay? Part of our living in hope is to share the light, and it's through the deeds of our sharing that we're able to better live into that hope. We're reminded that the light that we live in first comes from Jesus. Okay? It first comes from Jesus. And he purifies us from all iniquity. He redeems us for a people of his own. But a people who live a life which is self-controlled, upright, which is godly, as we wait for that blessed hope. 
the blessed hope of his return. Elsewhere in writing, Paul talks to the church, or writes to the church in Thessalonica. And, and, he, and he talks about how those who believe grieve differently than those who don't believe. He talks about it's because of the hope that we have that enables us to grieve in a different way. See, belief in Jesus, that he died, that he rose again, it gives us a hope that we too will do so. Okay? Because Jesus, on that first Easter morning, he's described as the first fruits of the new creation. Okay? And so if we believe in the new creation, if we believe that that's coming, that it's already begun with Jesus, then we live in the hope that we too will be part of that new creation as we are also resurrected. Peter talks a bit about hope as well. You can jump to 1 Peter 1, uh, verses 13. We'll start at 13 and go as far as I feel <laughs> we, we can this morning. Uh, it says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all of your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Be obedient. Strive for holiness. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus will bring you as he is revealed. It's a great hope to have. Thirdly, I want to take us to living our lives loving and encouraging our brothers and sisters in faith. Okay, there's a difference in the call to live a life of love for those who share our faith and then that to those who don't. Okay, yeah, Jesus commands us to love our neighbor. But here we're talking about our love for one another. The command that Jesus gives his disciples, the command that Jesus says, this is how the world will know you are my disciples in John 13, the end towards uh, verse 35. He says, love one another. That's how the world will know you're my disciples. So that's one of the ways that we shed that light. We share that light because we show we love one another. You love the world. Yes, we're called to love the world, but that love's always not going to be reciprocated. In the church, any true brother or sister will return your love. Because that's a command of Jesus. That's part of living in the light of his first coming. And in the earlier part of, of 1 Peter chapter 1, in verses 3 through 6, we, we look at living in hope. He says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. 
who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Okay? That hope is connected to living in the light, which is connected to how we show that by loving each other. We've all got that as a generic call for us as disciples, to love one another, to encourage one another in our faith, to challenge one another when we need to. But we also have specific responsibilities within the body as well. We've got to remember that the opposite of grace might be works, but it isn't effort. We're always called to put in the effort to, to strive to better ourselves so that we can live into the calling which we have received. And that is the fourth thing we need to do in preparing, is living into the calling that we have received individually so that corporately the church can live into the calling that it has received. So how are you partaking in the work of God? How are you preparing yourself? How are you helping prepare the church and others in it to be ready for Christ's return? See, the simple is that we're all made differently. And that's a good thing, right? Because we don't want everyone to speak with a British accent because then everybody wouldn't understand everybody else. This morning I had a member of the earlier service wearing a tie. And I was like, what, what's on that tie? I just wanted to know what Americans called it. And it was Christmas ornaments. I was like, okay. I would call them baubles. And they couldn't say the word. They're like, bobbles? I'm like, no, baubles. And it, it was, they were like, we're learning English. They were, they were accepting that. Um, we're all different. Let's praise God that we're all different. But we all have a role to play in our difference so that the church can best be what it's called to be. Okay? Um, we're all apportioned grace as Ephesians 4 tells us. Grace to operate or function in the role of apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, or teacher. You see, you're a gift to the church to operate in a specific way to help the church better resemble Christ. See, Jesus was fully all of those things. And the church, as his body, is supposed to live into being all of those things. Because far, <laughs> we, are, we have got no chance of doing it by ourselves, have we? Let's be honest. Okay, but collectively, when we add ourselves together, the church becomes more a picture of Christ. It becomes more the body which resembles the head and follows the teaching of the head, does what the head wants it to do, and therefore functions as the church should. So what's your call? How are you gifted in this way? And if you don't know or you want to know more, then we can have a conversation. And there's plenty of ways we can help each other to grow in knowing the function that God is giving us to help the church become more established as it should be. It'll help massively not only you in ministry and mission, 
it will help you to share Jesus in everything that you do and every way that you do it because you don't have to compare yourself to someone else because God's made you unique. He's made you to do things the way he wants you to do them, not to copy someone else. You don't have to share Jesus in the same way that Dan does. You've got to share Jesus in the way that you've been made to share him. So you've got to work at figuring that out. You've got to put the effort in to knowing how you've been made. The next thing up is that we've got to live according to truth. And we spent quite a bit of time last week looking at truth. And and I spoke on the fact that truth isn't subjective. There is only one truth. And that's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There is only one way by which we get to live and hear that truth, and that's through his word. Because truth matters. And if we allow the truth to be watered down or to be cast aside, if we allow the, 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 the favors of the world, more worldly views come in and distract us and take away from the truth, We're certainly not loving our fellow disciples. We're certainly not loving the world and letting them see what the true light is like. And we're actually choosing to deny ourselves and to deny God. We're denying Jesus if we don't live in the truth. And how's that preparing for his second coming? It isn't, is it? We're walking away from him, not toward him. See, knowing the truth and holding on to that truth and standing in that truth, that's working toward preparing for the second coming. Because when we know the truth, we're able to spot the lies. And last but not least, living a life which considers that today could in fact be the last day. Jesus warned that there would be troubling events as the age came nearer to the end. And that time's coming. We don't know when exactly, which is a good thing. But we are in those last days. What will become more prevalent, we're told, is persecution. But we're also told not to allow that to get in the way or to distract us from the call to preach the good news. To share Jesus as he has commanded or that he has commanded in order that we make disciples that can in turn make disciples. And not just disciples who follow a kind of truth, but who follow the truth. Because we're all making disciples but are we making disciples of Jesus? I'm trying to get my kids to be Newcastle United lovers. Okay, that's discipleship. I'm discipling, I'm teaching them the way. Not, not, not the true way, but the way in soccer, okay, in English soccer. Um, and they're getting it, you know. They love the black and white team. And then they ask me questions why they don't play in black and white sometimes. And, and they're, they're getting there, you know. We may never have won anything in my lifetime, but that's okay. That's okay. You've got to learn how to, how to deal with grief, you know. <laughs> but 
But how are we, who are we discipling and how are we discipling them and what are we discipling them in? It matters. The truth, capital T. It matters. Let's not allow the world to tell us their truth and influence what we would call the truth. Jesus has left us with work to be done. Okay, you might think Jesus did it all. He accomplished everything that he needed to accomplish on the cross, yes. But he has left us with work to be done. And he, we saw that through the Great Commission that we just looked at in Matthew 5. But we also see in his ascension in Acts chapter 1, around about verse 8, Jesus is telling his disciples, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And this comes back to living in the light of his first coming, into shining brightly. Because you might feel like, oh, I don't have much chance to impact the ends of the earth, so what, what, what's that about? But collectively we do. Let's look at our mission partners. Collectively, in supporting GSO, we're helping Jesus and the message get to the ends of the earth. How are we doing that collectively locally? Well, through Jason Scott and our partnership with uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes there. How are we doing it individually, though, also matters. Who is your Jerusalem? Yeah? Who is really, really local and close? And then as you branch out, Who's your Judea and Samaria? And how are you getting to the ends of the earth? You might think, well, Jerusalem's Colombia. Judea's Maryland. Samaria's the US. And then to the ends of the earth. How can we individually and collectively help to take the gospel out? Part of our mission statement is to do that. But how can we really push into it and share Jesus in that way? The way that he has told us not not. You can, but he has told us we will be. He didn't say, would you like to? No, he said, you're going to do it. That's what the job of the church is, and you're going to do it, because there's no other option. You're going to take my message out to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so I come back again. Who is your Jerusalem right now? And to tie it all up today, I want to take us to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, and talk a little bit about the armor of God. Because Jesus calls all of his followers, and he says to them, not a hair on your head will perish. He says, by your endurance you will gain your soul. That's what Jesus says. And so how are we really readying and preparing ourselves? Well, we prepare ourselves by putting on the armor of God. Okay? My time with uh, the British military taught me a couple of things. Like uh, prior preparation prevents poor performance. They had some other Ps that I don't feel comfortable saying in church. And they also would say that a failure to prepare is preparing to fail. 
And Paul sums that up really for me in, 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 in this passage of Scripture. Because he says, in order to stand against the wiles and the devil, we should put on the armor of God. That's the preparation act. I'm just going to read verse 12 as a key verse for us this morning. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So therefore, he says, put on the armor of God. Preparing for that time when Christ is going to come again. It's to live in a battle, live in a battle which rages on even though the war has been won. And just this morning, that reminded me at the end of World War II on how the Russians had gone past Berlin and they thought, Berlin's ours. And the Brits and the Americans had gone past Berlin the other way and they'd crossed. And they're like, yay, Berlin's ours. What did it result in? It resulted in after the war had been won, there were still these little battles raging on. And in the end, the battle was for Berlin. And we ended up with West Berlin, part of West Germany, being deep inside East Berlin, East Germany. And I remember having to drive through the corridor, having three checkpoints at each end. And you were timed in how long it took you. There was a battle still going on between the Russians and the Allied forces. Even after the war had finished, we still had a war going on, didn't we? And that probably continued right through to the reunification of Germany and the wall coming down. Okay? That was a stronghold which Christ would defeat. When we have strongholds, Christ defeats them. Need someone to knock down the walls that separate us from other people. But we don't have the battle with other people. We have the battle with what? With the enemy forces of evil. And we need to stand firm. We need to put on the armor of God. That is the belt of truth. And we've talked about truth. It's the breastplate of righteousness. And how are we righteous? We are made righteous in Christ Jesus. It's the gospels of the sandal of peace. We're supposed to walk and share the gospel wherever we go. It's taking up the shield of faith. It's putting on the helmet of salvation. Why is it helmet of salvation? Because it protects our brain from all the negative lies that are coming at us from everywhere else. And we carry with us the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's what we live by. This is the only attack we have. Okay, the armor of God, all defensive, except for the sword. Think about Jesus as he is tempted and the devil is throwing things at him. What do you say? It is written. We need to know and live by the truth. We need to carry it with us. Do we need to know it verbatim, chapter and verse? No. But we need to know the essence of it so that we can throw it back because the enemy will flee from the word. 
I guess that's the only piece for attack. But have you noticed all of the defensive pieces? All forward, front-facing cover. Nothing on your back. God doesn't expect us to turn around and retreat. He expects us to keep moving forward. And that's where all of our protection is. He's got our back. He's walking with us. Don't turn. Because the minute we turn, we leave ourselves unprotected from the attack of the enemy coming towards us. That's what it is to be prepared. That's what it is to put ourselves in the right condition, in the right position. And a lot of positioning is where we place ourselves as we come into church, as we worship at home. What are we holding on to that we need to release as we position ourselves to better receive? Because the second coming, it's all about, he's coming. And he's coming and he wants to take you with him and reveal you as he reveals himself again. We've got to empty ourselves to be filled by him. We've got to empty ourselves to prepare to receive him. So keep moving forward. Don't turn around. Don't let fear stop you from moving forward. Keep preparing. Keep looking at what is it God's calling me to do. How am I going to do it? How do I need help? Where am I being equipped? Who am I equipping? And asking those questions of who's, who's inputting in me so that I can actually truly understand what the truth is and be a disciple of truth. And then how am I passing that on to others and making disciples of the truth? And not allowing a watering down, not allowing these lies of the world to come and infiltrate the gospel. Because that's a backward way. We need to be infiltrating the world, not allowing the world to infiltrate us. We've got to keep being prepared because the alternative to doing all of this is actually preparing ourselves to fail which is just not an option. It's not an option. Jesus didn't fail. And he's left us with work to do. And that work to do is so that we too are not going to fail. He doesn't ask us to build the church. He asks us to be the church. He's building it. But as we come in and we, are, we accept as being part of it, then we accept the roles that we have to play to allow it to function as he intends it to be. Let's pray. Father, as we come today, we know there are many times we have not lived into the call you've given us. Maybe we've even walked away from it. And for those times, we repent. For those times we say, Lord, give us courage and strength to persevere, to endure. Put people around us who will help to bring us along so that we are not going to fall again. Help us to be bringers of truth, bringers of light, bringers of hope. 
and let us speak against the lies of the enemy, lies that have infiltrated so much of our world, so much of your world. Lord, let the truth remain. Let us know the truth so we can spot the lies. And let us love and encourage one another to continue to do that so that we are better equipped to live into the calling that you have given us, both individually and collectively. In your son's name we pray. Amen.